0: Pray with me. Father, knit us together as the one body of your Son, that we may grow unto the fullness and stature of him who is the head of the church, Jesus Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Love God, grow together, serve our world, the threefold vision of God. Little Trinity. Now, last Sunday, we reflected together with Tim on what we mean by love God, that is, as a life lived in a regular pattern of worship and love for which we were created by God to fulfill. And today we'll be looking at um, what it means to grow together. Of course, in a specific way here at Little T. As many of you know, our growing together is carried out in our commitment to meet in small groups. Small groups, there are small gatherings of our members together to study scripture, and then to pray for one another. At least those two things. Those two things are key to what makes a small group a small group. That is Bible and prayer. So this is my initial plug for us to sign up, join for small groups. If you haven't been part of one already, if you would like to join a small group, you could let me know. You can email me. We can chat after the service. I'd be happy to connect you with one. Now... Uh, you probably are aware of a modern phenomenon that's been documented for a few decades now and it's been uh, called the, the hidden epidemic which continues to plague societies that are highly advanced technologically and the covid pandemic exponentially worsened this hidden pandemic and we're seeing a greater aftermath of it unraveling even before us until now you know, this hidden epidemic is called Chronic loneliness, chronic loneliness. Research is showing time and time again that the effects of chronic loneliness is as deadly as the effects of habitual cigarette smoking and twice as deadly as prolonged obesity. The psychological toll it exacts from the body compromises your immune system and renders you more susceptible to rapid aging, cardiovascular disease, and a host of mental degenerative illnesses. Now, the Canadian Social Survey conducted the study last year. This was last year, nationwide. And the results showed that almost one in four, or almost a quarter of young people, age 15 to 24, reported often or always feeling lonely. For the whole country of Canada, more than one in ten people said they often or always feel lonely. In a gathering like this, it's likely that one or two people in every other pew may be feeling chronically lonely at this moment. Or you know what the real likelihood is? Such people are not here. They're not here present right now. With us in this space. Why do I bring this up? We're living in the most connected time in human history, but never have we seen such unprecedented and grave levels of social isolation and loneliness in our global village. And the pandemic continues to remind us of how vital social connections are, not just so that we may flourish as a human being, but just so that we might live, just so that we could survive. We need to be connected. And the pandemic also now altered our social, social rhythms and habits, right? We've either become even more social out of this pent up um, years, few years of pent up longing for connections, or we have become even less social. We've settled into a more simplified routine with fewer or no social obligations. It's socially acceptable now to just video call one another. Or when getting up and getting out feels a lot more work than it is fun. You can save money, you can save your time just for yourself and your family. That's way easier. Of course, feeling lonely is not the same as being alone. Many choose to be alone, Many choose to rather be alone, and that may be good and necessary for a time. Regardless, more than ever, we are actually coming to grips as a society, even for ourselves, to the reality that people should not be left alone. People should not be left alone. We should not be alone. We don't have to be. It's not good for one to be alone. The words of God, the only criticism that He had about His own work, as He was just finishing up His original creation. It's not good for one to be alone. It's the only thing that's not good in this perfect world that I made. It's not good. As Christians, we believe that God created people to be in relationship after his image. What is his image? He is a social, communitarian, Trinitarian being. In himself, relationship and love, we are made in his image. We are social, we are relational. We will live, we will thrive in connection. So if we are to live into our vision of growing together as little t, now more than ever, we need each other to be together. We need each other to be together. Obviously, being together at its most basic, yes, it's proximity physically to each other. But being physically together doesn't even mean we're necessarily growing. I mean, you've likely heard it said that uh, for marriages, there are married couples who are always around each other, but perhaps they've tapped out emotionally, romantically from each other. They probably are likely feeling much lonelier, even more alone in those marriages than if they were to be single or unmarried. That kind of marriage may feel more like a prison to them. We're always around each other, but you're not connecting. You're not engaging. You're just roommates doing chores together. In the same way, you show up to a party, you show up to that family dinner each year. You show up to church. That doesn't mean we are connecting That doesn't mean we're engaging. That doesn't mean we're growing. Even with people all around us and beside us, some of us still feel alone, unknown, unfamiliar, disconnected, isolated. So what else do we need? What else do we need? In our reading from Ephesians for the Apostle Paul, if we're to grow together, our Christian relationships must have the intention of grace. This is my first point. Christian relationships must have the intention of grace. In verse 1, Paul says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That may just sound like, you know, be nice, smile, don't step on anyone's toes. We're pretty good at that as Canadians. No, that's not what Paul is saying here. The intention of grace in our Christian relationships is so that we may extend to our community and to each other the grace that's been given to us. Grace is a divine gift that we never own or possess, but it came from heaven. God gave us a grace, a divine gift, of what? Of humility. That's not natural to us. The gift of gentleness, that's not natural to us. Patience, forbearance, love, and eagerness for unity and peace, that already exists between us in the Spirit. I mean, let me put it this way. When it comes to our relationships and social networks, whether we're aware of it or not, or intend it or not, we so often behave like we're mercenaries. We're mercenaries. We often be transactional in our navigating relationships. As in, we, can, we are subconsciously evaluating how our relationships, potential friendships, potential partnerships, would either benefit us or would cost us, or take away from us. How does our relationship give to us? I mean, naturally so. We gravitate towards people who are like us, who look like us, who live like us, with whom we can enjoy mutual benefits. Not necessarily wrong to think that way. But let's put it in church here, in our community. If a person in church makes me feel uncomfortable, or I just can't relate with them, I could just ignore them next time. I could avoid them next Sunday. Or if I meet another person, they're so pleasant, they're so charming, so interesting, so much to talk about. Man, I'd invite them to coffee or lunch, just right then and there. I'd whip out my phone, let's put on the calendar. Let's get out. Let's be friends. With our established relationships, you know, you, can't, you don't know what your relationships will turn out to be if a friend turns out to be such a nuisance. Or someone in your life becomes suddenly a hassle. It's so easy. It's so easy to just slowly cut them out of our lives. It becomes too much. We could all relate to that. That's natural. But we're being mercenaries. Uh, We can be safe. Yes, we need to exercise discretion. Don't be taken advantage of. But we can often be transactional in our connections. When we prioritize this question above everything else, what's in it for me? What's in it for me in this relationship? What's in it for me in this community? What's in it for me in my family? We don't think those words in our head, but we are operating that way because In large part, our society thinks that way. We're told to think this way. We're formed in our decisions this way. Consumers. But this must not be among us in the household of God, bearing the name of Jesus Christ and of the gospel, for us to fall back into the natural pattern of our flesh, to the natural pattern of this world. We are called to walk in a manner worthy, worthy of the gospel, A life of sacrifice and other-centered, giving ourselves away. If I could just distill into a phrase, Christian relationship is not just about you. Christian relationship is not just about you. Because God has decreed, commanded us, that among our ranks, it is much more about the other person especially those who are not here with us, because why they're hurting. They're lonely. They can't go out. They feel stuck. It would need us to go and reach out. That would cost us. It will take our initiative, our inconvenience. We bear that. They're sick. They're afraid. They're struggling. We go out to them just as Jesus came to us. Christian relationship is about the bigger community. It's far bigger than just you or me, your needs, your desires, as legitimate as they are. But we're called to a larger world, to a larger expanse of time, all the way to forever, to a farther trajectory that goes beyond just you and your own in this lifetime. We're considering the building of this place. Are we entrusting it to the next generation? How is this neighborhood of Corktown going to be? The neighborhood that you're in. How is your house being kept up for the next? We're thinking long-term, not just for me right now. Notice the list of virtues that Paul described. Humility, gentleness, patience, forbearance, love, eagerness for unity and peace. I used to read this list and think, Oh my goodness, I need to be more humble. I need to be more gentle patient, on and on. Yes, but after studying this passage again in light of growing together, I noticed that that way of thinking actually centers myself into the narrative. I, I'm just thinking about myself. I'm just, I need to be more virtuous, for sure, but that, there are other places in the Bible that says that. But these sets of virtues are actually centered on the other. These are social virtues, You're not humble so that you can be noticed to be humble. You're humble for the other person. You're gentle. These are for the other. You're patient. You're forbearing. You're loving. You're eager to maintain. These are for other people. These virtues are intended to grow, preserve, and nurture, and build up the church. Not just you. Because this is the reality. Real life church is absolutely messy. We felt this so many times. We disagree, we divide, we differ, we bicker, we have so many opinions. And so, because of that, God gave us the grace from heaven, the divine gift, to be humble, be gentle, be patient, be loving, be eager, be eager to maintain the unity and the peace that exists between you because of the Spirit. It's not just so that we can be more godly. That's good. But it's more primarily for the body of Jesus here on earth. So that it, be, it would be one and that it would remain intact. Because if it were left to us, we would not be together. There would be no one in this church. We're so different. But why do we gather Jesus Christ? And to Him, we ought to emulate. We are gathered under that name How are we together except for that name? I'm called to humility, especially for those who are critical and judgmental in the church. I'm called to be gentle, especially for those who are stubborn and annoying in the church. I'm called to be patient and forbearing, especially to those who are so difficult. I'm called to love, especially to those who are hard to love. I'm called to be eager to preserve unity and peace, especially to those who are divisive and contentious. Now, a friend of mine recounted a story of when she was uh, earlier on in the years um, on a mission trip, and she was with another colleague working together, and they were going to be in this place for several weeks, and they did not, at the get-go, get along very well at all. It was a bad start. So my friend went to her leader, supervisor, and She grumbled about the situation. So the leader, after listening, he advised my friend to spend a week. Just spend a week and just pray for your colleague. Just pray for her. My friend felt so uncomfortable and so challenged with the idea, but she did. For a whole week, she prayed for her colleague. And at the end of it, her heart somehow softened towards her colleague. See, it's very hard. It's so hard to keep hating someone you're praying for. Near the end of that trip, that mission trip, the two of them eventually actually became good friends. See, my friend could have just naturally ignored, avoided her colleague throughout that trip. Or she could have, in another way, reacted and made things worse between them. But my friend's choosing by faith to obey Perhaps the call by God to impart grace to her colleague, intending grace, by swallowing her pride in humility, serving her colleague in hidden, invisible, quiet prayer, choosing to maintain the unity and peace that is there. It's there. Though it's severed, it's there in the spirit. That's the reality. It became a transformative experience for them both. That's a possibility. Christian relationship is about the intention of grace for the other. It's not just about you. It's not just about me. It's about everyone else in the body of Christ. That's the first point. (laughs) Now, unless you report me to Tim for not focusing on Jesus, see, Christian relationship, yes, it's about everyone else, but it's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. This is the second point. It's my last point. Our growing together has a goal, and that goal is to resemble and represent Jesus in this world. Our goal is to resemble and represent Jesus in this world. In verse 13, we're to grow together until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature human body, to the measure and stature of the fullness of Christ. Paul here is drawing an analogy of someone growing up developmentally. That is from a baby to a toddler to a kid going through puberty and becoming an adult. And the proportions are now there. You can see the physical features. Now, like, resembling their parents. You can see, oh, that's from your mom and that's from your dad. Now here, spiritually, specifically saying, you're resembling Jesus. Who is the perfect resemblance to his parent? That is God the Father. We are to resemble Jesus who resembles God. Again, I used to read this passage and think, oh, I'm supposed to be more like Jesus. We say we need to be more Christ-like, we would say. Yes, but again, it misses Paul's point in this passage. He's describing the whole community of Christians growing up together to represent and resemble Jesus. All right, that's abstract, but what do I mean by this? Now, let me put it this way. In any church, in every community, we can usually identify some people who we typically describe to be that strong believer. That's a mature one. They're matured, they're devoted, committed, they're godly, at least as they appear to us. They're not perfect, but they're committed. They're serious about their faith. You can always count on them. They will serve, they will volunteer, they're compassionate, they're wise. I could listen to their advice. I can... Um, a council with them, and they're generous, they're thoughtful. People who we would consider and elect to become a warden or a ministry leader or to be part of a church board. Now let's say one of them sadly moves away from the neighborhood, they switch churches, or sadly they passed away. The church will feel the loss in some way. The community will inevitably feel a void that the person has left whether it be a ministry they've started or a role that they've now needs to be filled, or more so it's the church now grieving and missing that very beloved or even revered member of the church. In any case, there was this clear impact that this person left indelibly in the community even in the neighborhood. Now, if you were to imagine our church, Little Trinity, as a person, It's kind of difficult to do that, but if you were to profile Little Trinity as an individual, can you describe them as this strong, mature, devoted, godly, compassionate, wise, imperfect, but serious Christian? If our church were a person, can you entrust them to the care and service of the city? If our church were a person, Can you consider them and elect them to be a warden, a ministry leader, or part of the board of a corporation? Now, let me put it another way. If our church vanished vanished from the face of the earth, all of us, literally, our kids, our youth, seniors, our families, all of us, gone from Toronto, would the neighborhoods and communities of Toronto, where we belong, would they feel a sense of loss? Deeply. Will the city miss us? Will the city grieve for losing Little Trinity? Could we imagine the headlines next day? TO, Globe and Mail, Macleans, whatever. Saying that Little Trinity Church had such an impact on the city of Toronto in its legacy, in history of service and sacrifice. Can you imagine those headlines? How are we as a church together resembling and representing the stature and maturity and fullness of Jesus Christ to this city? See, representing Jesus to everyone in Toronto, that is not on me. It's not on Tim. It's not on James. It's not on the staff or the wardens or the ministry leaders here. That's on all of us, on you and me together. This is on all of us growing together to resemble and represent the full-grown stature of Jesus. Each and every limb, ligament, and joint of the body growing in right proportion at the right time, in tandem with each other, wherein there's not one bit that is outgrowing the rest, and there's one part that is not lagging behind with everyone else. The body grows in proportion, and we are part of that body that grows in proportion with each other to the grace given to us. We grow together, or we don't grow at all. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts that seem weaker are indispensable, and those parts we think less honorable. We bestow on them greater honor. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division, that each member may have the same care for each other. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Our growing together as a goal, that goal involves all of us, not just one, an individual here or there, all of us, to resemble, represent Jesus Christ to the city. The uh, 2021 20, Disney animated film, Raya and the Last Dragon, I think, illustrates uh, pretty well what we're called to be as a church. Uh, if you haven't seen the film, I'm sorry about the spoilers coming up. Now, in the in the film, there's this fictional world called Comandra, where humans and dragons, they coexisted in harmony. But unexplained, the drones, that is these dark spirits that turned everything into stone, invaded the lands. And the dragons sacrificed themselves and they collected, concentrated all their magic into this one stone orb that was used then to banish all the drones from the lands. The drones were no more. But the dragons also were no more. They all turned to stone. Now, sadly, now there's just one big magic stone, natural to humanity. There was a power struggle that ensues. The people of Kamandra wanted to lay claim of this orb, and then it divides the people into five separate kingdoms. But uh, pragmatically to preserve the peace, let's not go to war here. Let's get one kingdom to retain possession of the orb as its appointed guardian. So that was the case for hundreds of years. but Later on, a plot to steal the orb left it in shatters. There were five different pieces that came of it, and each piece was taken by the, each kingdom. But now that the orb was destroyed, the drunes came back. They invaded the land again. And now each kingdom was now defending itself from the drunes with that one shattered piece of the orb. Now, Roya, the protagonist of the story, was convinced that the only way to finally banish the Droons again was to unite the pieces of the orb together. Of course, the four other kingdoms, they were not happy with that idea. They're not willing to give up their pieces as their only means of power, their only means of protection from the Droons. But soon enough, the Droons overwhelmed the kingdoms. And in their last stand together, As the last surviving representatives of the Five Kingdoms were surrounded by the dark spirits, as a last desperate attempt, instead of keeping the piece of the orb to protect themselves, they chose, each chose by faith, to give their piece up for one person to combine the pieces together. As each gave away their piece, they immediately got swallowed up and turned into stone. The last surviving person reassembles the orb, but nothing happens. Then she ends up becoming a stone. But the orb reassembled there, lay still, then it reignites in brilliant light and it dispels with magic all the drones from the land and it revives, in fact, everyone else and all the dragons from the stony prison. The world of Commander was saved and humans and dragons were again brought together in harmony with renewed, unimagined unity like never seen before as divided as Christians are in this city and around the world. Maybe, somehow, someway, when we start to put aside our differences, band together just so that we can give ourselves up, give ourselves away for each other and for this world for the greater call of unity that Jesus prayed for us, continues to pray for us, Perhaps then that God will come and dispel the darkness from among us and from this world. I don't have a clue how or what that should look like or how we can begin to do that between all the different traditions and denominations in the world. But we can start here. We can start here in our own church, growing together. Put aside our differences band together just so that we could give ourselves up, give ourselves away for the other, intending grace, pursuing our goal to resemble, represent Jesus in the city. To the end that we would have unity of faith and measuring up to the fullness and stature of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to him be all glory and honor now and forever. Amen. Amen.